0: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Comic Book Commute Podcast with V.M. Campos. I'm V.M. Campos. This is the podcast you listen to on your commute while I commute. So let's get on the road. Today is December 18th, 2015. The official wide release of Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens and I saw it last night at about 10 p.m. So this is gonna be a Star Wars-heavy, Star Wars-centric episode, and we all know that there are many Star Wars comics out there, so this is not completely off-topic. But what I'm gonna say, a few warnings right away. This is going to be an episode about my thoughts on The Force Awakens, full of spoilers, full of opinions, and honestly, right from the top, full of negative opinions so if you haven't seen the film I don't want to color your thoughts on it even though I already perhaps have um, and so don't listen to this podcast if you don't want anything spoiled and if you don't want to hear anything negative about Star Wars so I'm gonna give you a chance to turn it off and listen to another one of my better episodes regarding purely about comics, so thanks for listening. Alright, if you did stick around, once again, spoilers ahead and negativity ahead. I'm not a kind of person that wants to put out a lot of negativity onto the internet. I would rather create something cool and positive than dwell on the negative. That being said, the most direct way to say it is I didn't like The Force Awakens. Um, Who am I to say that? Well, no one, of course. We all have an opinion. But some of my credentials, if I need to say any, are that, uh, well, legend has it that when um, my mother was pregnant with me, uh, they went to go see Star Wars Episode IV, uh, A New Hope, in 77. Uh, So, so legend has it, I was in the theaters when uh, the original film was out. And uh, some of my earliest memories include uh, the the Imperial Guard uh, that guards the Emperor from Return of the Jedi. I can pull up various pictures of myself and my brother in vintage Original Trilogy Star Wars uh, toys, and uh, I had a Darth Vader costume that I wore for Halloween from the 80s, uh, had various toys throughout the years, watched the re-release of the movies in the late 90s, bought the VHS trilogy, special editions, DVDs, Blu-rays, comic books, Uh, so yeah, I'm a fan. And I think that's perhaps what colors my whole experience of The Force Awakens. Uh, My mind is still swimming in the concepts of it, Uh, Throughout the whole film, yes, I admit, I went in with, J.J., impress me. J.J., don't fuck this up. J.J., make it good. And he failed on all counts. He tried to... J.J. Abrams, the director, had the weight of the world, the weight of the geek world on his shoulders, and it crushed him. Rest in peace, J.J. You ruined Star Trek... Now you've ruined Star Wars. What's next? Doctor Who? Yeah, he tweeted that, so uh, look it up. Um, and yes, that's so harsh, but you're going to be hearing so much harshness in this podcast. Again, if you can't take it, please turn it off. I don't want to ruin your day. I don't want to ruin your, ruin your commute. But, okay, let's try to put it a little bit more logically. What's the problem? <sighs> the movie tries to please the old guard and the new guard Um, and anyone knows everyone knows that when you try to please everyone you please no one you don't give enough to your target audience and I don't want to talk about marketing and target audiences and all that junk because we've been super saturated in this point of our lives 2015 We've been super saturated in so many Star Trek, uh, Star Wars things. And a lot of the blame, all of the blame, goes to Disney. That was one of the first indicators that this movie was not going to be good. Disney bought them. Disney is a mega corporation, mega profitable, and they know how to reach your heartstrings, go past them, and pull out your wallet. Because there has been a deluge of Star Wars merchandise in these months pretty overwhelming and honestly sickening yes there's always been huge amounts of marketing and products and toys for every Star Wars film but it just feels so overwhelming and over the top now that that colored my expectations of it actually watching it okay get back getting back to the tangible things Um, let's start off with the rapid turn well, okay. Opening crawl, very intriguing. Luke is missing. Okay, so much pulled under the rug right away after counting from the original trilogy. Uh, thirty years. I uh, know, thirty uh, six years uh, since the original trilogy. We haven't seen any of the original characters on film. We've seen them in various media, of course. A new Star Wars film, and the first thing that we're told, Luke is missing. Okay, intriguing, perhaps. And um, we go into the first skirmish. Um, We uh, have Poe introduced, speaking with... Uh, an old friend, as the opening crawl tells us. And then the uh, First Order, uh, the concept of the First Order, I think, is intriguing, uh, in that, yes, the end of Jedi was extremely congratulatory and celebratory, but when you have such a large-scale military apparatus, military political apparatus ruling the galaxy, it's going to be very hard to really stamp it out short order and so the remnants create the First Order and they're the Neo Empire the turn of Finn now it's impossible to perhaps it was impossible to really avoid any spoilers throughout the months and years of production of this film especially if you bought any of the toys read any of the novels everything gets spoiled for you but I tried to be as clean about it as possible but I knew that that trooper that stormtrooper that was hesitating during the massacre was gonna be one of the main characters Finn Uh, I thought it was interesting how he was named however he was uh, you know it wasn't quite clear in the beginning was he a clone? What happened? Later on, we know that he was he was apparently kidnapped from his family and programmed to be a stormtrooper. He failed in his programming. And the, his turn was very rushed. He gets out of the transport. He's, he, he's supposed to be in kill mode. And right away, he starts to renege on his programming. And it takes his uh, one of his comrades being killed in his arms, Dying in his arms, and smearing some uh, bright red blood on his white uh, helmet to to basically turn him. Like, what? Why am I doing this? Who am I? Or whatever's going through on through his head. And the problem is that it's so much superficiality at times, and no, and, and a lot of pacing problems. So obviously, it's the first in a trilogy, in a in a new series. However long this new generation is going to last. And obviously, a lot needs to be crammed into the first episode of the new trilogy, and I really think that this will be the weakest of, of whatever series, because it just has so much weight upon it and so many expectations that many things suffer, such as the, the, the characterization, uh, the turning of, on a dime of Finn going from bad guy to good guy. Um, he hesitates, and we already know who he is. Even if you're a complete virgin to this, it's telegraphed. That trooper is different, and so can you, kids, and make your own decision. So can you, kids, and be your own, and make your own decisions. Uh, there's a there's a uh, massacre, as I said, and there have been massacres in Star Wars before, of course, but part of the problem of a modern take on that is that it's too modern. This is supposed to be escapist and yes, the whole movie takes place in a galaxy far, far away with alien creatures and everything, but I don't want to see a massacre. I don't want to see flamethrower-wielding troops burn down a hut. That's too real. That's too true. It's not fantastic enough. It's not escapist enough. Um, Poe is going to get away on his pretty cool X-Wing. It gets shot up and so he can't escape. He's got cute little BB-8, which, as soon as I saw soccer ball Droid on the first teaser a year ago, November 2014, I was like, huh, Jar Jar 2.0. And now that I think about it, I guess, in a sense, he was not overused throughout the whole film he was definitely the Jar Jar of a new generation very cute sound effects and improbable design really felt like JJ Abrams kids took part in designing this and and it's selling like hotcakes congratulations Sphero you're making a killing on this toy and so BB-8 Gets the plans to the whereabouts of Luke Skywalker, which—that's one of the many rehashes that we see throughout the the film. I think that's one of the big problems. There are so many times when the movie is rehashed. This movie rehashes previous concepts from the original trilogy, and that's shades of what Abrams did. In Star Trek, Um, so uh, Poe giving BB-8 the plans to the Death Star. I mean, the plans to finding Luke Skywalker, the map to finding Luke Skywalker. Uh, There was uh, so many times that that I felt like, "Hey, kids, remember this." Hey, old-timers, remember that? Just the weight of the of the franchise collapsing in upon itself. And yes, Lucas did it himself also in the original trilogies, but here it just felt so obvious and commercialized to tug at our heartstrings. Um, so Poe is captured. Another thing that I didn't need about the realism was the torture. Kylo Ren, okay, I have to admit, he looks cool. He looks like an interesting villainous character. Very tall and lanky. His his mask is cool. Uh, I didn't hate the tri-blade uh, lightsaber like I did originally. Uh, it wasn't obtrusive like I felt it was over the top in your face, in the original teaser he seemed to wield the force really well, he stopped a freaking uh, blaster shot in midair and levitated it there for minutes at a time and then showed off by letting it then proceed and hit a uh, moisture evaporator he, I think, is a interesting villain uh, but again, too real torturing Poe to get information out of him we live in a world where that where governments supposedly civilized governments sanction torture now or look the other way upon it and yes this is the evil Empire they can be given a pass but we don't need a reminder of the state of our world uh, in this fantastic escapist film yes there was torture in the um, original trilogy But it was much more subtle. That close-up, the camera as it close-ups onto the torture droid in Princess Leia's cell, uh, and then the camera abruptly shifting to exit the room, that was very affecting. It showed nothing. The music built, and it was terrible, but it showed nothing. We don't have to see Poe struggling in agony Veins popping from his face That he's in pain Too real Uh, Then we get a shift To Jakku Jakku Where we get some Good characterization of Of Rey and her Scavenger life Full of, of course, Nostalgia, the remnants She's going through the remnants Of a star destroyer uh, there's another one in the background. Later on, there's the remnants of, a, of an AT-AT. There's that pulling at your heartstrings. Remember this, old timers. Remember how you marvelled at these machines. Here they are. Here, destroyed. Just like your childhood. And uh, her hard, hard scrabble life. Meeting BB-8. Getting the the scene with BB-8 trying to bond with Rey after she rescues him rescues him not to convincingly perhaps bonds with him just like the original trilogy her outfit is reminiscent of Luke's on Tatooine and the whole planet of Jakku is Tatooine 2.0 and the whole planet where the new weapon of the First Order is is Hoth 2.0 and then the place where Leia and the and the Resistance is that is Yavin 2.0 there are so many rehashes of the classics how many more planets forest planets, desert planets there's slight touches of Coruscant, maybe perhaps the only few reminders of the original trilogy. I know J.J. wanted to get away from the original trilogy, but it's canon. It's embedded. It's official Disney-certified Star Wars history. And there was a planet, a city planet, Coruscant 2.0. There were holograms of the big bad guy, the Supreme Leader, I believe he was called. I thought that was rather impressive that the first we see him is a towering figure and we're thinking, wow, okay, this is interesting. There are beings that are this tall. There's no history of who this character is. Of course, it'll come. Very mysterious. And a hologram. whoops gave that away. It was a hologram then it kind of diminished the character. Yes, we saw the Emperor originally as a big floating head hologram. And again, yes, we saw that again. There were so many instances. Yes, we've already seen this. So many instances of the nostalgia just tearing your soul apart when Han Solo and Chewbacca run into the scene, like they ran into the scene on the Assault in the Death Star with with Luke the original trilogy, and then the Chewie were home, which had to be a different sort of take on the second teaser. And again, turn on the dime that Han takes in Finn and Rey, which can be forgiven because they are likable characters. You could form a whole backstory about why Han would so quickly and eagerly offer Rey um, a place on his ship, and her still being tormented about wanting to be rescued. She was apparently abandoned on Jakku. Uh, there's an affecting scene where she marks yet another day on Jakku, and there must be hundreds of of days marked. But Han sees something in her. Her prowess in, in in technology, which she earned from scavenging, was interesting. She was a very strong character. I think she will be an effective Disney princess. Yes, Princess Leia is a Disney princess. Live with that. Rey is one, too. And uh, I think she's going to be a great role model for, for young girls, for young boys. She's strong. She's... Uh, uh, she knows what she's doing. She has a vulnerability. She cried in several parts in the film. I thought that was a good choice, uh, that sort of emotion. But uh, perhaps lost in everything else in that there is no time to dwell on things, no time to absorb it, no time to feel it. Uh, yes, biggest spoiler that I'm going to give you right now. Again, if you haven't, if you haven't shut this down because you haven't watched this yet, Han Solo is killed by his own son. Another spoiler, Kylo Ren, the big bad guy in this film, is Han Solo and uh, Leia's uh, son, who has fallen to the dark side. Um, It will be explained, of course, throughout the years that this trilogy goes on, how he fell to the dark side. But now we are introduced in the most shock value way to him that on the most predictable death scene in these trilogies, much more than Qui-Gon, and then of course a million times more than the death of Uh, Obi-Wan. Han confronts his son on a perilous walkway with no guardrails. You would think that the remnants of the Empire would figure out to put guardrails on long passageways, causeways, and such, but they don't, and so Han confronts Kylo and c- tries to convince him, please come back, and Kylo has unmasked himself um, a second time, and he, he looks cool, he's an interesting-looking man, uh, and he has a tortured moment where, where he cries for his father and, and says, help me make the decision. And you don't want to believe it, that this will be the death of Han Solo. But as this scene begins, you're thinking either Chewbacca will die or Han Solo will die. It is telegraphed to you that something tragic is about to happen, especially as they split up. I guess that was the foreshadowing. Han and Chewie split up to set set these detonation charges. He's holding a thermal detonator. And um, setting these thermal detonator charges or whatever they were to blow up a piece of the... So the, um, the resistance has to blow up the weapon, which I believe is never named. They have to blow up the weapon because now that they know where the the Resistance is at. Again, just thinking about it, oh, the Death Star knows where, where Yavin is at. We've got 15 minutes to blow it up because they're coming. And so they have an artificial time timer of 30 minutes as the sun gets depleted to power the weapon. That's all we have to to defeat the First Order. And so they have to send a small tactical hit team of uh, X-Wings, which look really cool, actually. I like the the black one and how they're colored in their own way. Uh, They have to send a small team to destroy the exhaust port. Well, not the exhaust port, but whatever the system is that keeps that energy locked inside the planet. But first, we have to knock down the shield generators just like on Endor, uh, but then on an ice planet like Hoth. And so Finn... And uh, Han Solo and Chewbacca um, form a, uh, another attack team to go disable the uh, the generator. But, oops, uh, Finn is actually really there to rescue Rey because he has turned on a dime to perhaps love her. Or I'm going to say platonic love that he really wants to rescue her. They formed a connection. Uh, and so he's ready to give up that mission of uh le- of destroying the weapon just to rescue ray uh the needs of the few outweigh we the needs of the many but solo convinces him let's shut down this uh this uh shield array so that uh the resistance can destroy it and then destroy the 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 weapon because the weapon has already destroyed several <laughs> planets in the course of uh, of of the film uh, he agrees, and so they're setting the detonator charges, and then Kylo is wandering around on his own, kind of badass walking, and uh, Solo uh, sees him and uh, confronts him. He calls Ben to him. That, that happened very quickly, uh, which was subtle. I liked that. There were many other instances where there was some dialogue that was just not subtle to establish uh, something to the dumb audience, uh, taking us for dummies, uh, skipping ahead when when the amazing battle happens and, and it looks like perhaps Finn gets a very bad slash across the back with a lightsaber uh, and they rescue him off-planet, um, ADR looping. Uh, someone says something like, I feel a heartbeat just to tell us, don't worry kids, he's going to be back for the next episode. The merchandise will keep coming. He's not going to be a Darth Maul character. Uh so there was that. There were other instances when Poe comes back from the death from the from the from the dead. Uh someone over his intercom tells him, Yeah, great shot, Poe, to let us know that's him because he's got his helmet on and we can't tell he's him, perhaps. There were other instances where someone says something off screen just to really cement it. And, you know, I'm coming I'm at the end of my commute actually and I've gotta to get to work. But obviously I've got so much to get out, and this could be an episode that could be so long. But I think you've had enough, perhaps. You've had enough of my negativity. And again, I have to apologize. If you haven't seen this film, watch it. Make your own opinion. But, as my passion tells you, I didn't like it. It had too much writing on it for me. And maybe I am becoming the bitter old man in my ripe age of 37. But there was just too much negativity. And the dark side has taken me over, and I didn't enjoy it. I sat through the whole film aghast. Maybe these films aren't for me anymore. I can accept it. I can move on. But overall, one star, one out of ten, Thumbs down. I'm sorry to say, Star Wars Episode Seven, The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens, is not a movie for me. And yeah, maybe I have to throw in my, my geek cred card. And I know I'm gonna be in the majority, in the minority, that didn't love this film. And maybe it's going to be in Episode One, where we all forced ourselves. To like it because of the hype, of the insane hype. And then, with some retrospect and introspection, we realized no, it wasn't a good film. It was entertaining. I went with a person that her highest compliment was at least I didn't fall asleep. And on that depressing note, on this episode, of the Comic Book Commute Podcast. As we wrap it up, thank you for listening to my rant, my half-finished stream-of-conscious rant on the new Star Wars film. Take care and drive safe. (laughs)